Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider Podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. SPAC deals have taken a variety of EV business models to the public markets. Xeronox brings another new approach to the EV story with its focus on retrofitting fleets of off-highway vehicles for sustainability. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Melina Haddad and I speak with Xeronox president and co-founder Robert Cruz and Yana Kakar, CEO of the Growth for Good Acquisition Corporation. The pair announced a $306 million combination in March. Yana explains why the off-highway segment of the EV market was attractive for the Growth for Good, and Robert tells us how Xeronox's asset light approach makes it a unique DSPAC candidate in the EV space with more revenue generated to date than outside capital raised. Take a listen. So just to start out, Robert, could you explain just how broad of a market we're talking about when we're talking about off-highway vehicles? I think a lot of people instantly think golf carts, but you know, just how big and small of vehicles are we talking about that are out there? The off-highway vehicle market is quite broad, uh, certainly agricultural, construction, mining. So it goes across a, a lot of different products and pieces of equipment. When we started at, at Zero Knox, actually initially, we were looking specifically at the agricultural community because of our location and quickly realized you know, how large this, this market actually was. Great. And for Yana, you know, what initially intrigued Growth for the Good about that market as opposed to you know, the sorts of EV companies we're, I, I think, maybe more accustomed to seeing SPACs target in these recent years? Yeah, I got to say, it was actually that differentiator that I like the most. There is a real first mover advantage that Zero Knox has into a relatively underserved and overlooked segment to date. You know, when you think about, as Robert was just saying, you know, you think about ag, construction, mining, that's everything. It's tractors, it's trailers, it's forklifts. While we've seen such a proliferation of EV-related passenger cars on the highway, we haven't seen the same off-highway. So that really drew me to the company initially. And speaking of those different vehicle categories, which vehicles make up most of your business right now? And what parts are you making for them? Currently, the the biggest market for us is in the ag sector. And that's where we begin the company. Utility vehicles, forklifts, as Yana mentioned. And we're not a manufacturer. We're, we're really a, a partner. And so we build the electric powertrains within the products. And for some of the partnerships that we have, we'll also help distribute the products into given markets. Great. And can you talk about the fragmentation in the off-highway market a bit? Does that present challenges for you in terms of distribution? So one of the issues that the off-highway vehicle market has had in, in electrification is certainly in how to deal with the entire ecosystem that's required to viably distribute large EVs into a, a given market. So on the on-road side, we see you know, certainly uh, government help with say infrastructure and those types of things that are definitely required and necessary to viably bring an electric product to the market. On the off-highway vehicle side, that hasn't been put together uh, as well as it has on the on-road side. And so when we go and set up these partnerships with manufacturers and assisting them to electrify their existing internal combustion engine products we have to show them, hey, how are we going to bring this, say, infrastructure um, to your end customer? Because that's going to be certainly a, a big part of bringing EV into these different markets of ag, mining, construction, et cetera. So it's more of a, a solutions-based partnership, not just a, we're not just designing a powertrain that will fit into your existing product. 
we're also providing the resources required to support that product once it's electrified so that you can sell it to consumers, so you can support a consumer and so it can be charged appropriately so it can be used. Yeah, you know, that's that's really what I wanted to get into next there. And just looking at the company and the, sort of the history of the company, it's very much, it seems like a story of companies' revenue growth growing alongside the, the growth and the scale of those partnerships and the way you've diversified among different partners. But I'm interested in just sort of how those relationships have sort of begun. Like what, does it tend to be you developing products for the market that, you know, know that like, okay, these companies in this particular market segment, they I bet they could be good clients and partners for us with this. Or has it been a lot of, um, you know, them coming to you and saying, we're, we're trying to do this. Can you help us? When we started the company, we were thinking we were going to bring to market zero NOx products for these off-highway vehicle uh, applications. As we began, we formed one of our early partnerships with a manufacturer out of New Zealand. It's the Tuatera vehicle, which is really our, our, our main seller uh, to date. But what we learned in distributing that product was all the pain points that a manufacturer is dealing with in actually deploying and distributing and supporting an electric product. That also opened our eyes up to, wow, this is a huge need that manufacturers have. And there's already many manufacturers who who have market share and they need partners. Uh, So instead of us having to build something from scratch, we decided let's just be that preeminent partner for them. And uh, obviously a much more scalable model, uh, a lot less uh, capital intensive, And uh, strategically speaking, what we were seeing on the on-road side is uh, a lot of these EV companies were were really taking a long time to actually get their product out to market. They were having to spend exorbitant amounts of cash to do it and setting up, you know, EV manufacturing facilities, et cetera. And the strategic approach that that we kind of came together at is, okay, we've identified these pain points for these manufacturers. Now we can go and show them how to successfully bring their existing product to the market that currently is an internal combustion engine and they're just looking for a sister product that's electric and we work within the confines of their existing product line so we don't have to build an entire new vehicle or a piece of equipment from the ground up we can take take an existing utility vehicle we'll say and work with you know pull out those internal combustion engine components work within the volume constraints given to us and become a component supplier and, and partner for that manufacturer, and that drives that initial cost down significantly and also increases the time to market significantly. So this was a strategy that we developed early on as a company as we were distributing our own Xeronox owned product. It really has been successful for these manufacturers because what's interesting is none of them, you know, say no when we say, are are, are you going to electrify? All manufacturers know they're going to have to electrify their their products. The question is how and when? Is is now the right time? You know, are we going to try and bring these core competencies in-house? Are we going to try and find a a design and support from like a Zero Knox? And in the off-highway vehicle side, there's not many Zero Knoxes. And, And so this has really opened up a huge opportunity for us. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially, you know, when we start thinking about markets internationally and expanding those ways and things like that. I found it very interesting that you said New Zealand was kind of a, one of the, the first big geographies for you, in a sense, in terms of finding a, a big partner there. And just looking at where you're at right now, I found it interesting that you've already nailed down a binding agreement in Africa and you're negotiating in a lot of other places. Just It's interesting because, again, you know, the conversation, as you mentioned, with EVs, a lot of the times it's, it's about where is, it gonna, where is your manufacturing base going to be? Where is this going to be? You know, how access to markets, whereas your manufacturing base 
base is wherever your client's manufacturing base is. But how has that rollout worked? And, and sort of have you been, has it been a client by client basis? Or have you been looking at particular areas of the globe you really wanted to get to? It's, I'd say a little bit of both. So certainly we're opportunistic from the partnering with manufacturers, who's ready now. There's, there's a lot of uh, major manufacturers that we're in talks with. And in fact, we have a couple of, of contracts already in place where we are developing a, an electric product for them. I should say with them, because again, it's a, more of a retrofit than a purpose-built uh, application. In, in the case of the, the Ghanaian agreement that you brought up in the continent of Africa, we happened upon one of the largest and most diversified companies in Africa, the Jaspon Group, and actually went and pitched to them this idea of electrifying their fleet of refuse trucks. They have about 70 different subsidiaries within this company, and the largest subsidiary is a company called ZoomLine, which handles almost all of the refuse in, in Ghana. And so we pitched to them this idea of, let's electrify this fleet of 1,000 refuse trucks for you um, and, and, and bring this technology to Africa. The, the company, the Jaspon Group, at the time was looking to be the face of clean technology in Africa. And, and, and so they were looking for, so how do we begin this? Because the, the continent of Africa is, is difficult to navigate through for a lot of different reasons. They, they agreed to move forward with this project as a foundation piece of, of bringing clean technology into Africa. And, and it, was a, it was a perfect application for what we do. Because another one of the advantages of the Xeronox powertrain is, is we look for specific applications where the duty cycle is consistent. So in the case of a, a refuse truck, it's doing the same thing day after day. Well, that fits very well when you're trying to design an efficient electric powertrain system. A, a lot of the issues that, that you see with range anxiety, for instance, is when you have applications where you know one day you're going 200 miles and the next day you're going 50 and designing a system around that, being that the battery is the most expensive part of an electric vehicle. And so it was really the perfect kind of case study for us to get involved in and to prove out some of the technology. And for them, it was the perfect foundation to lay as they look to become the face of clean technology in Africa. And in fact, it's the, the world's largest fleet retrofit electrification project uh, going on right now. So we certainly were being opportunistic in, in, in that we saw that the, the African market was underserved in a lot of ways. But then from a manufacturing standpoint and dealing with manufacturers, we, we really are, are looking for those kind of forward thinking, ready to move now manufacturers to partner with as we push this technology and our, our powertrain forward. One of the things that I personally thought was particularly nifty about the work that Xeronox is doing with the Jospong Group and Zoomline is the country of Ghana is literally giving these guys an award for helping the country as a whole move forward, you know, towards their COP or whatever, you know, uh, clean, you know, net zero goals and lowering their carbon emissions. Fast Company flagged them as having world-changing idea, you know, one of these companies with world-changing ideas. And I think while Robert gets fired up about, you know, the the technology of it and the partnerships and the and and, and the powertrain, I step back and I think, holy moly, you know, this is here we have so often when you see, let's say, you know, what is what are America and Africa doing together? You kind of, you know, you see different kind of themes, right? But here you've got an African conglomerate hiring these guys, creating jobs, ironically, right? You, you tend to think of it as perhaps the other way around sometimes, you know, creating jobs in America and in the heartland of California and the breadbasket. That is so cool. 
And then actually having that country, you know, Ghana government recognizing these guys, I just thought it was terrific. So I just had to chime in there because I, I can do it since, you know, not my not my company from <laughs> from foundation. I can post from from far here. Yeah, definitely very interesting. And uh, would you say that there's a sweet spot in terms of scale for a Zero Knox partnership regarding the number of vehicles or perhaps the number of charging stations? There's, diff there's definitely a lot of scalability potential with what we're doing in that we're partnering with the manufacturing you know, companies who already have the distribution, already have the sales, et cetera. And, and to kind of highlight this, as I mentioned earlier, we're distributing that to a Terra product and we've set up 50 dealerships in, in the United States. We have a couple other contracts in place, as mentioned, that we're electrifying for our manufacturing partners. Once they push out the electric product that we're developing with them, just their footprint alone takes us from 50, a 50 dealership footprint to over 1,500. So from a scalability standpoint, the market share, we immediately get to become a part of by partnering with those who already have it. And that's been very intentional on our part. The clean tech market has, has been capital intensive and slow moving in some ways. And so we've been very cognizant of that and making sure that our business model strategically has been CapEx light and scalability quick. So that's, that's the reason why we've rolled out this strategy the way we have. Got it. And then I'd be interested to hear how much of your technology do you have secured with patent protections now? And then where are you looking to add to your intellectual property portfolio? Always looking to add to our intellectual property portfolio. I, I, I love technology and I love pushing innovation forward. We currently have 11 patents pending in the clean tech space. Uh, a couple that I'll, I'll bring up here um, our, our battery modularity system is patent pending. What we've done, which is different than most EV companies, is the battery itself that, that an EV has is usually in one box. So the cells, the battery management system, et cetera. We've separated that out in, into two different boxes, a power distribution unit and what we call a pack. You know, think of like a, you know, double A's, right? The smaller, simpler, easy to, to move in and out. And what this allows us to do is navigate volume constraints uh, a lot with a lot more agility. And as I mentioned, our strategy is to work within these volume constraints given to us by the manufacturers, or, or let's say the even a large scale fleet. And so the power distribution can be separated from these packs, and then multiple packs can then be added to the power distribution unit. And so that's one of the major advantages that this patent pending technology has, along with a savings of expense in that if anything needs to be swapped out, we can swap out either the pack by itself or we can sw swap out the power distribution unit by itself. Other parts of the system that are proprietary to Xeranox, a lot of it's software related. So in EVs, the, the software is, is probably, it is more, more as or more important than the hardware. So when we talk about the, the motor controller, all those parameters written, the battery management system, uh, those are all written by ourselves or our partners. And so that IP is our own. And from a serviceability standpoint, that is crucial in being able to actually support these on the back end. Because if a, an EV company has subbed that out and they don't have the control of those parameters, let's say 75% of the issues of EV are going to be software related, they then cannot service those. And we're seeing that, especially here in California with some of the on-road applications, the inability to service battery management systems because they're too far removed from the actual IP themselves. So those are those are a couple of the main, and the other one I'll bring up is our Xeranox telematics system. So we also build that in-house 
It's something new to the off-highway vehicle electrification side that we've added as a core piece of our technology is to introduce this telematics as a normal piece of the equation. And so that we can do remote diagnostics, you know, over the air updates, geofencing, all these, all these different um, things that fleets and consumers are looking for. And because the electric vehicle is new to a lot of manufacturers and end consumers, having that level of support is that much more crucial, especially as we talk about deploying fleets, say in Africa or across the country or across the world, we want to be able to support them from here. And the Xeranoc telematics system allows us to do just that. And moving over just to the deal side of things, you know, for Yana, what, you know, when you're looking at different companies, different options and, and going through your process, what made you look at uh, Xeranox and, and decide that the timing was right for Xeranox in terms of this is really kind of a jumping off moment for it to go public? Yeah, it's a great question because you really do look at a number of different potential, you know, company partners. And so when you when you mutually select each other, a lot of a lot of considerations go into a lot of selections, not least of which is what is the company that you think is going to be able to perform well in this public market, not just you know an ideal public market, but <laughs> this one. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is not ideal. <laughs> I'm just saying it may not be the best we've ever had, right? In terms of the smoothest, it's. Uh, but you know, for me, it was uh, I suppose the simplest way to put it is like smart, sound, and scalable. You know, and that's a lot of alliteration. But, you know, when I when I got to know, when I got into the guts of Xeranox, you know, I saw, all right, Xeranox has got a first mover advantage and, you know, they are well on their way to this sort of becoming the preeminent electrification partner to off-highway OEMs and fleet. You know, this is company that's already revenue generating and the partnership model is so sticky. I could just see, I thought it was very smart. I could see how they could scale it, et cetera. But when I say sound, that's not necessarily the, the sexiest adjective, but boy, it really matters, right? Sound business fundamentals. And, you know, these guys have grown their revenue at a CAGR of like, you know, whatever, 200% over the last few years, they've got astonishingly good revenue visibility into the next few years. They just kind of had their ducks in order, you know, and then scalable, right? To think that, you know, this is, as Robert mentioned earlier, Xeranox is and will continue to be an asset light business with, with very low CapEx requirements. And so you couple that with the clear path to EBITDA, you know, it's it's pretty compelling. And you'll notice I, I didn't mention sustainable because for us at Growth for Good, that was table stakes. You know, we wanted a, a truly sustainable company that was helping the global economy decarbonize. You know, so there's a bit of a distinction there between just ESG, if you will, to really a low, no carbon enabling company. So those were table stakes for us. And heaven knows we found that um, and, and more with zero no. Great, yeah, and that, and that gets to where I wanted to go next with Robert as well, and just in, you know, in talking about the that path to to EBITDA and, and everything, and just given that uh, redemptions are are somewhat of an unknown, just going forward, you know, how much do you have sort of different scenarios plotted out in terms of what the final proceeds are going to be, and how much do things change one way or the other, what the in terms of what the, the final number is uh, on this transaction? Yeah, so certainly an advantage that we have in this marketplace is you all brought up already is that we're CapEx light. And so we're not starving for cash. This SPAC play with Growth for Good was much more about alignment, finding the, you know, the right company that was the right fit. It wasn't about finding a, a truckload of cash. And I think that's where I think a lot of people get in, into trouble. See the truckload of cash, but if you don't have the right navigation, you're just going to drive that right off a cliff. And so what we found was someone 
that aligned with us and what we were trying to accomplish uh, with, with the Growth for Good team. So it certainly is true that, you know, as more resources come into the company, we'll be able to scale this quicker, open up a lot more opportunities. But even contracts that we already have laid out in front of us and, and even those in the, in the pipeline, that sets ourselves up for success, even without the massive needs that, that most companies going public have. And, and so that's been, again, it's been intentional. Like we, we, we've been in this market. You know, these past two years that everyone's been dealing with, so we, we've seen the horror stories and, and we are doing everything to make sure that we don't end up uh, another data point there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And speaking of that and, and your partnership together, Yana, you know, what kind of support do you envision the Growth for Good team providing Xeronox after the deal? And, and how have you aligned your incentives with them post-deal in terms of the terms of the transaction? Well, first, I suppose if we step back, it's helpful to know Xeronox shareholders are rolling 100% of their equity over. And there are 7.5 million earnout shares that vest in sort of three tranches based on achieving stock price targets in 25, 26, and 27. Uh, additionally, all major shareholders have agreed to lock up their shares for one year. And the sponsor group, Growth for Good, also deferred 25% of our sponsor shares. And so it, it is sort of notable, you know, this 100% rollover plus the stock price-based earnout structure, a good healthy lockup. I think we've got strong alignment here for the company and investors. A couple of us from the Growth for Good team will be joining the board of Zero Knox. I mean, we're all so excited about that. And I think that in and of itself is a bit rare, I think, for there to be two members of the team joining the board. But, you know, board or no board, one of the things that we as Growth for Good did when, when we formed up was sort of stack hands and say, we're really doing this because we think, we believe, uh, because the data tells us that there's like a paucity of strong, sustainable assets in the public market. And we really want good public uh, companies to be sustainable. And we want these sustainable companies to be able to scale in the public market. You know, every it, your ability and your speed to scaling is, is just really unleashed in some ways in the public market. But we all stacked hands and said, well, that means we don't go poof, you know, at the moment of transaction. This is not, this is about finding a company with whom we would like to have ongoing relationship. And we thought, you know, when we went public uh, towards the end of 21, December of 21, you know, well, let's just say we weren't the first back in the market, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> what, you know, what motivated us was we thought, look, we really want to bring like financial capital is there. That's fine. But what we really want to do is bring sort of our strategic abilities, our operational experience, you know, we're seasoned operators, we've scaled global businesses of this kind and different kinds as well. And we want to be able to you know, find a partner that we're very fired up about uh, working shoulder to shoulder with and adding value beyond just the financial. A couple other key differentiators I'd, I'd like to bring up because as we all know, the, the SPAC market and, and clean tech companies in the SPAC market have not performed as we have all hoped that they would have in the past 24 months. But where we set ourselves apart is one, in our, our CapEx light model, We the amount of capital that we've raised to date versus revenue produced from that. We're nine times more efficient than the average of all the other clean tech SPACs in the past 24 months. So we have more revenue to date than, than capital raise, which is obviously very uncommon in this space. And then from a strategic standpoint, this partnering with manufacturers 
and not having those high requirements of building out the infrastructure and the time to market, that strategy really allows us to, to bring our product and bring that revenue forward significantly faster than other clean tech type companies. And then certainly as Yana brought up, the alignment of locking up ourselves and our the promote on the other side to protect that share price and allow these contracts to play out so the market can see that what we're doing is going to be a success, is going to catch on, and that revenue is going to continue to grow and profitability is there. And we have a very clear path to that. Definitely. And we touched on the fragmentation in the market earlier, but uh, once Xeronox is public, do you foresee it using M&A to vertically integrate or perhaps speed up some portions of its expansion? Don't tell her all your secrets. <laughs> yes, I will say that we, we have looked at different opportunities and we will continue to evaluate them and let them unfold as they will. Got it. And in general, what is the advantage to being a public company that you're most looking forward to leveraging? Market awareness for us. There's this key time that we have right now in, in partnering with this manufacturers. And I think the, the word that Jan uses is this stickiness, because once, once that partnership happens, we're not just a design firm that makes an electric powertrain platform for them. We also are the back-end support for them. So once we can integrate our powertrain into their product line, have them distribute that out into their network, they're going to stick with us for a long time because they're going to need our support for, the, for that product. So we see this five-year window of these manufacturers that need to jump into this electrification. And we want to make sure that we gobble up as much as possible the, the market share with those manufacturers. And so the ability that going public gives us from, from an awareness standpoint is huge. Find the right partner. From our side as well, this has always been about finding someone who's going to help us scale this and who's going to have certain connections and who's going to make us prepare for this kind of next level up. And just as Growth for Good, I'm sure, went through many different target companies, we also talked with many SPACs and it was finding someone, as Yana mentioned, willing to come over and work with us, be a part of what we're doing, understand you know, what we're trying to accomplish and utilize their resources to allow us to scale. And so th those are the main parts of this public play that are really going to help us grow as a company, really help us scale as a company and kind of take us to that next level. Speaking of, of awareness, you know, I mentioned golf carts early on, and I know that's not really your main market, but I recently saw some interesting coverage about, you know, there's some large residential communities in like whole towns in Florida where golf carts and what are considered to be, you know, off-highway vehicles are a major part of the transportation solutions within there. And it just seems like it's a topic that that the EV and sustainability conversation doesn't cover a lot because those are, you know, they're, they're EVs and they're they're actually safer in a lot of ways. And I'm just interested in, in your thoughts on that market and if you've seen some opportunities there. We have seen some opportunities there in, in California. We have similar kind of beach communities looking for these off-highway electric vehicles, certainly to save on emissions, but also uh, noise pollution uh, as well. They like kind of the, the, the quieter, there's less parking, right? All, all these different advantages that a smaller, more compact, uh, they don't drive as fast. So yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing a, a desire. We, we have uh, sold product to uh, many of these communities. And it's a market that's going to continue to grow as product becomes available. In the past, certainly there's been uh, electric off-highway vehicles, but they've been based on older technology. I mean, lead-acid batteries obviously have been around for a, 
a, a long time. And, and as we have now developed the, the advancement in, in electric powertrains, you know, using lithium ion batteries, et cetera, it's taken these products into a new realm. And I, I think also opening up the opportunity for more products in that category to enter the space. So I think we'll continue to see that market grow as well because of those reasons. Right. And just going off of that, what's the thing that you're most excited about in terms of the changing technology in the markets that you serve? I'm most excited to see the scaling of these electric fleets on the off-highway side. It's exciting to see the technology work. I can't wait to see this at, you know, on a large scale farm or at, at a, you know, a mine or a construction site. We haven't seen that type of scalability yet for some of the reasons which we've brought up already, which is, you know, making sure there's other solutions that, that we need to help them with charging and um, backend support. But because, you know, we are bringing those solutions in and we're actually in, in talks with, with many of, of those fleets right now, which is why it's top of mind for me, it's going to create, I think, a model for a lot of the other market to see, wow, this is scalable. When they see all these, these large scale fleets actually successfully deploying these electric vehicles.